Welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet Movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch the Muppet Movie two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand. I'm your other host, Ryan Rowe. And joining us today, we have a return guest. Tell tell the folks who you are again. Uh, Hi, everybody. I'm Grant Harding, an old friend from the Tough Pigs Forum. That's right. And we are thrilled to have you back. Well, uh, today we are talking about minutes 79 and 80 of the Muppet movie. And we begin as Kermit walks past a rotating musical rain barrel. And we end as the clock strikes high noon with Kermit approaching Doc Hopper and his goons for the showdown. So the first thing we need to talk about then is the musical rotating rain barrel. What a great thing. Right? Well, what I love, what I had never thought about until watching it for the podcast is Bunsen says shortly after, we live here perfecting useful inventions. Yes. He goes out of his way to call this thing useful. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking about that when I, when I caught that line and I don't know. I didn't look up all of Bunsen's inventions ever, but I feel like he probably has about a half and half record of useful versus not useful inventions because you something like a teleporter that can be useful. The, the super sticky glue uh, that could be useful. Those are both, these are all things from the Muppet show, but I don't think there's much demand for edible paper clips or a gorilla detector. Maybe usefulness would be debatable there, but yeah, a musical rotating rain barrel is definitely on the less useful end of the spectrum. Well, it's not injuring Beaker in any way, so he's already ahead of the game. <laughs> That's true. I'm sure um, Beaker is relieved. Yeah, it's, it's uh, uncharacteristically, I realized Beaker doesn't get hurt in this movie. No, that's right. Oh, yeah. Huh. Huh. Um, yeah, and we, we I, I do have some thoughts about that now that you bring it up, but I do want to save it for the later scene. Um, and actually, we should say who Bunsen and Beaker are. It's been so long since we met a new Muppet in the movie. Um, well, can I just, are, are we moving on from the musical rotating rain barrel? No, no, I, say I, whatever. I'll say that thing about Bunsen and Beaker later. Um, okay. So what other thoughts do we have about the musical rotating rain barrel? I, I just want to talk about what a great prop this is and what a just a great hilarious nonsense concept <clears throat> it is. So it's a rain barrel and the outside of it spins and there's pinwheels on the inside that spin too and there's water spraying from the top of it. And the whole thing is playing circus music, which I am pretty sure is supposed to be an arrangement of Lady of Spain. It's just uh-huh. a really fun thing in this movie. Yeah. Well, um, actually, what I know – so I, as listeners may or may not remember, I have a three-year-old daughter. And she is obsessed with dresses that spin. She wakes up every morning and says, I want, my, I want the spinniest dress. <laughs> thing. Um, and the musical rotating rain barrel looks like a spinny dress when, the, when all the boards go up and it spins around. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, reminiscent of that. And I know, so we cut these minutes up in such a way that we stopped last week right before the musical Rain Barrel came to life. But when you're watching it all the way through, it everything goes really quiet for a few seconds before Kermit passes the barrel. And then suddenly this cacophonous noise strikes up. I, I know... The first, you know, when I was a kid, I remember watching this and it would kind of, I would forget about it and it would, 
it would startle me. And I yeah. have actually been at, at screenings of this movie where it makes people jump, and it's always a it's always a fun. It, it's better than a, a jump scare in a horror movie because it's more fun. Yeah, but it, it's true. It is kind of a jump scare moment. Yeah, weirdly enough. Yeah, it's instantly, you know, diffused by how 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 silly it is. It's yeah. very ridiculous. Oh, and also it elicits another. We haven't talked about this in a while, but uh, another great mouth sound from Kermit. He kind of does a, like a when it. <laughs> But it starts uh, doing its thing. So, yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah. Um, so, before we move on, we sh- really should talk about the inventors of the musical rotating rain barrel. It's Bunsen and Beaker. It's been such a long time since we got any new characters in this movie that yeah. I kind of forgot that we used to talk about who the Muppets were when they first showed up. Who was the last um, new character we got? Uh, Rolf. Rolf. That feels like ages ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's it's really a very long time. Um, but so Bunsen is, of course, the the mad scientist at Muppet Labs. He's played by Dave Goals, and Beaker is his assistant, um, who only says me 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 things like that. Um, and that's Richard Hunt at this time. So that's who Bunsen and Beaker are, um, and they make their entrance into the movie here. Um, they are. Uh, Operating a laboratory in a ghost town. They are apparently the only people who live there. Well, yeah, Bunsen says they live there. I don't know if I ever really thought about that. How are, so they apparently have utilities because we see in a minute that they have electricity. But it's powering. possible that Bunsen built a generator or Beaker is running on some kind of a hamster wheel. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a good explanation. But yeah, I guess they probably live there for free because I can't imagine anyone really... You know, I can't imagine they're being much demand for a ghost town. Right. Um, so Kermit goes into their laboratory next. And what I love is that like, and again, I've never thought about this before. Bunsen seems like he's just itching for Kermit to ask him about his inventions. Yeah. That's Bunsen's enthusiasm is just, is just wonderful. It's uh, I mean, that's one of his major traits is his, his enthusiasm. And, the the lab looks like I never again. This is the kind of thing you you only start to think about when you when you watch it, uh, you know, two minutes at a time. I guess the the lab is is built in what I guess was the general store or the apothecary or something in the in the cowboy town. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, I did notice that there's a dictionary in the window. Huh. Uh, when we see in through the window, you can see a book that clearly says a dictionary on the front. Yeah. Which. Not not sure why that's there, but with those swinging doors, I guess I assumed it was a saloon. Yeah, that would make sense. But all the all the shelves and everything makes me think of an apothecary. All the jars. Yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so when Kermit comes in, Bunsen says, "Welcome to our laboratory. Please don't touch anything." And <laughs> Kermit follows this up by asking if this is the only street into town. Right? Like, I think Kermit does not care about Bunsen's inventions at all, even <laughs> a little. He's just thinking about Doc Hopper. He's worried about this showdown. And Bunsen's just like, hey, here's my lab. Well, Bunsen has been, you know, he's lonely in this ghost town with just Beaker and him sitting there, you know, hanging out all day inventing things. So right. yeah, he's, and, he's just itching to show someone his inventions. Right. Well, and then what, I, what Floyd walks in and says, hey, what are you dudes doing in here? And Bunsen gets so excited and says, I'm glad you asked. Mm. Yeah, he is he gets so excited? It sounds for a moment like he's like he's upset, but he you know he's he's so the noise he makes is 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 just so he's like you say he's just frothing over with excitement. 
Right. Well, I mean, it's like he said, yeah, I'm glad you asked. It's, it's like that's all he wanted Kermit to do, right, was ask. Floyd <laughs> did, did, and he's so happy. Yeah. So and um, then, of course, he shows once they come in, he uh, has a bucket of Instagirl pills, which he shows them, uh, which will make anything grow very large. Uh, and then we see uh, or Floyd says, what in the name of Fats Waller is that? And what it is, is a four-foot prune. Thoughts on the four-foot prune, gentlemen? Well, I, I wanted to also mention that the pills themselves are really big. <laughs> I, I guess we're assuming that, I mean, you would you have to have a really big glass of water to, uh, to get one of those pills down. Horse pills. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then as... Muppets generally have very large mouths. That's true, yeah. They could get it yeah. down. Uh, and then as far as the four-foot prune... I've never quite been able to tell if this prune that we see is really as big as it appears to us. I, I or, cannot imagine that it is. I feel or, like it must be first perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's it looks like it's there in the shot, but yeah, I think it is forced perspective. Like they built, they built a scale model of a prune and then just put it close to the camera. I, I never noticed before, but in the exterior shots, uh, you know, looking in through the window when Kermit is walking into the into the lab, you can see the prune on the counter. It's it's dark. Oh. So you, you can barely see it. I, I'd never noticed it before this viewing, but it is there. I was looking for it in the later shots. Oh, yeah, you're right. You can see it in an earlier shot. I was looking for it in the later shots, but it's it's kind of hard to make out. But that does look like the prune on the counter there when Kermit first walks in. So, yeah, maybe they built the four-foot prune. I wonder where it is today. If they did, though, I mean, the only t the only time we see it clearly in a in a full shot is that shot where the prune is huge and the Muppets are all little in the background, right? Like, yeah. yeah. It, it seems very odd to me that they would have built this thing and then we only see it in that one shot and not in the background of other shots. Other right. than through the I, I don't know. I don't know. How do you feed a pill to a prune? Oh, that's an excellent question. That is a very good question. I do wonder if they just ground it up and put it into the, I don't know, the the soil that the fig tree was planted in. So is are you that... suggesting it was a four-foot plum originally? Yeah. And then they well, yeah, I don't know. Huh. I don't know. Question. Uh, I also should note, um, Beaker, when when Bunsen is explaining the Instagirl pills, he says the effect is sadly temporary. And Beaker says, mammy, mammy, mammy. That's the closest thing Beaker has ever had to a line in English. There are a few other, there are a few other instances where he sort of echoes uh, English speech, but this is definitely the earliest I know of. Right. Where and it sounds he, like he's saying real words. And he has this exact same line in Mother's Room Space. Yeah, that was a fun callback. There's yeah. actually something, just I, I won't give it away, but just to tease a future episode, there's something later in this movie that I didn't notice for a long time that that has to do with this. Um, yes. Is that vague enough? <laughs> I'm intrigued. I, I don't, do not remember what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. Okay. Well, we'll get to it. Um, and, and any other thoughts about Instagirl pills or the t or the four foot prune? Well, I, I had a thought. Of, I mean, I just wanted to to mention what Floyd says. What in the name of Fats Waller is that? 
mm-hmm. just uh, for those who may not know, I don't know. I, I, I guess they assumed most people in 1979 would know who Fats Waller was, but Fats Waller was a jazz singer and piano player. He wrote the song Ain't Misbehavin', which was performed on the first season of The Muppet Show by Floyd. Oh, uh, no, you're right. I didn't think about Floyd singing that song. Yeah. Did he perform? Did Fats Waller do Your Feet's Too Big as well, or was that somebody else? Yeah, he did. Because that was on The Muppet Show as well. Yeah, that was another Jerry Nelson character. Yeah. Also, uh, if, you, if those who have not who are not familiar with Fats Waller's work, um, in the movie Stormy Weather, he does Ain't Misbehavin'. Look that up. At least look up that version of the song on YouTube because it's incredible. It's one of the greatest performances in a movie musical of all time, I feel. And then you'll know what in the name of Fats Waller that is. <laughs> yep. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about the Instagram pills before we move on is I don't know if either of you guys watch Muppet Babies 2018 very often. But I haven't yet. In my house, we watch it very often indeed. And um, there's an episode where Summer, the new character, Summer Penguin, wants to become taller. So Bunsen and Beaker actually have an enlarge ray in that, which is going to make Summer larger, which feels like a callback to this in the Muppet movie oh. to me. That's Bunsen and Beaker's first appearance on the show. They bring them in just to be like, hey, hey, gang, we make things big. That's cool, although you have not said that they do another callback to sadly temporary so i assume they didn't take that opportunity uh they did not do sadly temporary on the muppet movie uh, on muppet babies but there is an episode where animal says his favorite artist is renoir so they are not they're not afraid to do callbacks to muppet movies oh yeah i I can definitely tell from what i've seen that the 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 people making that muppet baby show are big muppet fans i genuinely i thought you were going to say there's there is an episode where animal says chugga chugga (laughs) <laughs> and that's a call back to last week that was amazing um, no but also the other thing is while I was taking notes on this clip which again my daughter Iris had watched with me had watched with me, I couldn't remember the name of that thing and I said hey Iris what was that thing Bunsen and Beaker used to make summer big and she said the enlarge way so she oh. got it she remembered and I did not sign her up for a Muppet trivia contest Seriously. Well, for a three-year-old, actually. So anyways, after after this, we cut outside. Doc Hopper rolls into town. Before that, I want to I wanna say I, I, I love, first of all, Animal's reaching for those pills. What do you think he's going to do with them? Animal is very interested in those pills. I don't know why. I don't know what he's thinking. But yeah, he's he, his interest is piqued. And I love, I, I love the way the foam of his hand looks in that shot where he's reaching for the, the jar. I don't know what it is about it. I just, you can really see the texture of the foam that his hand is made of. I really like it. That's interesting. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. And after um, Beaker says sadly temporary, there's this, there's this, there's this weird, uh, I don't know. It almost feels like a, a, a dead moment that they should have cut away from two or three seconds earlier. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but it kind of seems like uh, Richard Hunt is filling space there after he says sadly temporary because he just makes a couple little noises. and nobody He gives looks. a sad little sigh. I wonder if they were kind of waiting for the audience to laugh at Beaker saying, Mammy, Mamma, Mammy. Oh, that would make sense. I've never seen this with an audience. No, me neither. Uh, it's a good one. It's a crowd pleaser. You know what? That's not true. I did see it with an audience in Columbia, Missouri, but I don't remember that moment. But you were saying we, we, we cut to outside. We cut to outside, and Doc Hopper 
has been there. Um, Doc Hopper rolls up, and the other Muppets are all shocked. Scooter yells, hey, Kermit, here comes Doc Hopper into the, into the laboratory. Um, and Kermit responds that he will meet Doc Hopper, quote, in the middle of the street. Which, I never noticed before the, the painted uh, Dr. Teeth hands on the roof of the bus, which you can see in that shot of Doc Hopper and the goons rolling up. It's, oh, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, uh, I really just his hands. I noticed on the side of the bus, you can kind of see Dr. Teeth's hands uh, playing the keyboard painted on, on the side. But yeah, that's cool yeah. that they, they have his hands just kind of stretching out on the roof of the bus. Got his hands all over this bus. Yeah. You know what, though? they When they painted the Studebaker, it was such a impressionistic, modern art, like Jackson Pollock kind of thing. And on this one, they have much more... It, like specific imagery. So I like that they can change up their art style from vehicle to vehicle. Yeah, the Studebaker was just splashes of color, and this is much more uh, controlled. Right. It's, it's nice. It's, it shows real talent. <laughs> yes. Um, so any, anyways, Kermit says, I'll meet you in the middle of the street. What Doc Hopper says, oh, yeah. And Kermit says, man to frog. And when I was a kid... I thought that Kermit said me and the frog and I never knew what he was talking about. Cause he is the frog, but he doesn't oh, say wow. that. He says, he says man to frog. Yeah. Jim Henson has a little bit of an accent. It kind of sounds like me and to frog. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I always, as a child, I always misheard the line in uh, Muppet family Christmas where Jim Henson says to Sprocket, I'll wash and you dry. I always heard that as I'm washing you dry. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, it doesn't make any sense. No, it does not at all. Otherwise, I enjoy the image of Jim Henson washing Sprocket dry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and speaking of Jim Henson, that is, that is still not Jim Henson in overalls as the bearded goon. No. Yeah, it's the right. same guy, yeah. I guess. But uh, yeah, yeah, that is yeah, just a guy with a beard. It's not Jim uh, before we move on, though, I have to say, if there are any any fan artists listening, please draw a picture of Jim Henson washing Sprocket Drag. Believe it or not, I was about to say the same thing, but I decided it was too silly. So thank you for going I, there. Nothing is too silly. For <laughs> a podcast about the Muppet movie. Dry cleaning. Dry cleaning. <laughs> so um, then we see Kermit walk out of the laboratory Dressed up like a cowboy. Uh, first, we see just a shot of his feet wearing boots and spurs. And then we see his head and shoulders, and he's wearing a cowboy hat. He's dressed what? up like Gary Cooper. I love and, it. Um, before, before that happens, we get this wonderful shot of the clock, which I think – do you, I mean, you want to talk about High Noon? Before? Well, yeah. I, was, I, mean, I just said that he's dressed like Gary Cooper. So, yes, of course let's talk about High Noon. Tell me about High Noon. Um, well, High Noon is a film where Gary Cooper just got married to Grace Kelly, and – uh, they are going to leave town, go on their honeymoon, you know, whatever. Then his old um, enemy, a guy he put in jail, whose name is Frank Miller, actually, no relation to the comic book artist. Uh, he shows up in town again, and now Will Kane, Gary Cooper's character, has to go face him down. He tries to get tries to get Harry Morgan to help him. He tries to get Lon Chaney Jr. to help him. And they're all like, no, man, you've got to do this alone. And then – at high noon and the movie takes place in real time. It's an 85 minute movie and it starts at like 10 40 AM. Um, at high noon, he has to go face him by himself. 
And here Kermit has been got this whole group of friends, not Lon Chaney Jr. and Harry Morgan, but you know, Fozzie and Gonzo. And uh, they can't help him. He has to face Doc Hopper alone, just like Gary Cooper at the end of High Noon. Although in this case, Kermit's friends seem willing to help him, but he has decided to do it man to frog. That's right. And unlike that, the, the, the jerks. That shot of the clock striking 12, you know, that, that shot of the pendulum and then tilting up to the clock face. I feel like that was in High Noon. I, I watched yeah, it. A yeah, yeah, well, in, 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 in High Noon, like I said, it starts at about 1040. We see the clock all the time. Right. He's going downtown. He's trying to get support, whatever. There are shots of the clock showing us what time it is and how close it is to noon. But I feel Very like that particular, that particular shot as well, tilting up from the pendulum. I feel like... Uh, feel yeah, like... I, think, I, think, I think that's right. It's been a few years since I've seen the movie. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Also, very frequently in that movie, we hear the song, Do not forsake me, oh my darling. Like, throughout the entire movie, if I remember that right. That's, yeah. Well, it was, it's written for that. I mean, yeah. the, the last line of the song is, Until I shoot Frank Miller dead. Oh, that's very specific. Yeah. I, I have a couple other notes about the clock before we move on. Uh, this is the, the, the clock podcast here, but first of all, the shot of the clock also reminds me of Timepiece, which I'm sure was not a fictional oh. reference, but it always makes me think of that. Sure. sure. Also, back in the desert, Dr. Teeth said that they'd have breakfast at Hollywood and Vine, but here it is lunchtime and they're still not in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Maybe I mean, he meant brunch. <laughs> I mean, the timeline is wonky anyway. I I noticed uh, just in rewatching this. I mean, this is in this is a different part of the film, but I noticed that the moon uh, the moon is in first quarter when Kermit and Piggy go out to dinner, and it's full when they're stranded in the desert. So that those two nights must have been about a week apart. I love that you noticed that. Yeah, me too. That's great. I was waiting for the moon to sing a goodbye song, but she never did. <laughs> <laughs> And one last note about the clock is that um, now the audition's at 2 p.m., right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's noon now. So if they're going to get to Hollywood in two hours, I, I looked at a map and I think the ghost town, I mean, again, the, 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 the locations in this movie are as wonky as the timeline. But I think the ghost town has to be in California if they're going to get there in two hours. Right, which would certainly make sense. I mean, California is as good a place as any for a ghost town. Yeah, there's plenty of them. So I think it's I think that part of it checks out because sure this could just as well I mean obviously we know they actually shot this in California right so that's you know that's fine yeah yeah I'll this, buy that this concludes the clock portion of the podcast sure um, come back any, next time for clocking right along that's all we <laughs> talk about it's I, actually we should though mention because uh, you mentioned the clock reminding you of timepiece. In case there are any listeners out there who don't know, Timepiece was a a sort of experimental short film that Jim Henson directed in the 60s. He was nominated for an Oscar for a short film. It's really cool, really trippy and creative, and I'm pretty sure you can still buy it on, I don't know, iTunes or YouTube or somewhere. I, I, I know you can buy it on iTunes because I have it. It's one of the few films I've ever purchased on iTunes. Not in Canada, you can't. Oh, sorry. You can. Sorry, international listeners. <laughs> I know because I tried. Um, also, before Timepiece, in 1960, when he was just 23 years old, uh, Jim Henson wrote and recorded a novelty song called Tick Tock Sick about a man who is obsessed with the ticking of the clock and buys many clocks so that he can 
rock out to the lullaby of all the uh, different clocks that he buys. Yeah, he's uh, very interested in clocks. Oh, and the, uh, the Mighty Favog. The Mighty Favog on Saturday Night Live was named after the clock in the dressing room of, I think, the Jack Parr show, maybe? That was what the, the Muppet guys called the clock in the dressing room. And huh. then they moved that name over to the, uh, the, the, the Oracle played by Frank Oz. Right, it was when they would they were booked on, on the live uh, variety show and they were the last act and hoping not to get bumped from the show. So they were watching the clock and like praying to the clock, the mighty Favog for them not to get bumped off the show. Uh, um, but yeah, so the, so the Muppet obsession, Jim Henson specifically, his obsession with clock goes back, go with clocks goes back years. Um, and again, I'll be, I was going to say about TikTok sick. That song is very easy to find on YouTube. Um, so do look that up. Uh, last week I mentioned mentioned Wilkins coffee commercials. Uh, Jim Henson did a lot of amazing work when he was in his early twenties. Uh, he you know he did more great creative things before the age of twenty five than most of us do in a lifetime. So if it's, you don't know that if you don't know that early stuff, look it up. It's great. It's wonderful stuff. It might be my favorite uh, period of his career. Sure, I I uh, think that's more than fair. There's also a 13-hour clock in Labyrinth, but uh, enough enough clock talk. <laughs> uh, and a- actually, that kind of brings us down to the end, unless either of you have anything about Kermit's cowboy outfit. I-, I do. Please. Um, so we get that shot of the legs, uh, his legs walking out of the lab. It. I don't know how you guys feel about that shot. I feel like the legs don't look that great. They. <laughs> they. I. I could appreciate what they were going for, but they. They move really stiffly with the knees all locked. Um, but I mean, you could put that down to the fact that Kermit's wearing cowboy boots. Yeah. I feel like he's doing like an old West kind of like walking in chaps kind of walk. Yeah, that could be. I think it's hard for them to get these shots of Muppet legs walking to look just right. Cause presumably for this, there's a puppeteer basically just holding like Kermit leg sticks from above and making them walk and indeed in the uh, in the if you watch the full screen version of the movie where the cropping is different uh you can actually see the fingers holding the top of the legs oh wow (laughs) so yeah and it it must be hard to make that look like the the natural movement of legs walking i think that's one reason why some people are just weirded out by any uh instance of muppet legs because when they do sometimes show shots like this, there is something kind of unnatural about it. Although the main thing I'm noticing now is how on earth did he cram his flippers into those tiny boots? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. It's probably very uncomfortable. Yeah. That's why he's walking so stiffly. His, his feet hurt. Right. That's it. Yeah, there you go. And Mystery also, the shot, of the, <laughs> the shot of his legs in cowboy boots was, uh, was reused in a Muppet Babies episode. That sounds right. Episode huh. nine, Close Encounters of the Frog Kind, which also introduced uh, Robin as a tadpole. Oh, I also like the shot at the very end of this clip when you see Doc Hopper's whole uh, line of goons all armed. They're all ready to, to you know, take whatever order from Doc Hopper to, to take out Kermit. And then just at the very right edge of the frame, we see Kermit's foot in that boot uh, right. just, and well, just... and, I mean, next week we'll see both of them. Yeah. So, I think <laughs> so look forward can, to that. I think we can save that for next week. Sure. 
and, and in the in the transition from from the shot of his feet to the shot of his face, which is a really nice transition, sort of going behind something. Um, he does this thing with his mouth, Kermit does, with kind of like setting his jaw or sort of uh, grimacing slightly, which I feel like Gary Cooper did that as well in in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. So yeah, which, whichever puppeteer performed Gary Cooper in High Noon did a really good job. <laughs> I think that was another deliberate sort of homage. That was Jerry Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I think that, that brings us down to the end of this clip. Um, Grant, we like to ask our guests when they come on, um, what's kind of your personal history with the Muppet movie? And also, where does it rank among all of the Muppet films? Or you? Yeah, so... It's interesting. I didn't actually see the Muppet movie until I was 10. I, I I didn't really watch movies as a kid. I don't know why. I watched a lot of television, so I knew the Muppets very well. But uh, I didn't see the Muppet movie until uh, I was uh, 10 years old in 1995, and I was visiting my cousins in England. Um, but by the time I saw it, I had seen all the retrospective specials and stuff, the, the celebration of 30 years and Muppets celebrate Jim Henson. And so when I saw the movie, it was like, oh, this is the context for Kermit talking to himself in the desert. And oh, this is the context for that shot of Gonzo peeking down through the windshield from the roof of the car. So it kind of strung everything together for me. Huh. And uh, with regards to the ranking, I, it, this one jostles for for the number one position with Great Muppet Caper, Muppet Christmas Carol, and Muppets 2011. I can't, I've tried to, uh, tried to rank those four and I just can't. It's a four-way tie. Wow. Uh, I think that's the most enthusiasm for Muppets 2011. Uh, I've heard certainly from a guest on this podcast. Oh, so I love Muppets 2011. Hopefully we can get you back in six years to talk about that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't often hear it uh, placed at the same level as as this one and, and Great Muppet Caper. So, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, Grant, thank you again so much for coming on. Uh, you've been a wonderful guest. And uh, before we go, is there any work of yours that you would like to plug? Anything like that? Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, hmm. Well, if you go to my website, which is theabstractions.com, you can see the uh, the stuff I'm working on. And uh, I'm on Patreon as well, uh, which uh, is kind of hopefully will, will help fund some of the projects I'm, I'm uh, currently working on, which includes a, a celebration slash, slash condemnation of bad television and uh, a full body puppet that I've been working on very slowly for years. Oh, cool. Great. Um, so... That just brings us right down to the end. But before we go, uh, thank you for listening to Moving Right Along. Please check out toughpigs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, anywhere you can find it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Zeppo Marxist. You can follow Ryan at me, Ryan Rowe. And please, if you're so inclined, give us a positive review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's sometimes called, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Positive reviews help us get more listeners. Tell all your friends about the show. That too will help us get more listeners. <laughs> and join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Goodbye! Bye!